like number of people. It's like if we can get out there and have it be solid for millions of people, the developers will come. We'll punch the yeah. devel- each developer in the face as they walk into <laughs> WWDC, yeah. and they will <laughs> gladly be like, "Thank you, sir. Give me another, so I can get on here and make a million dollar farnap for the launch." Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 150. It's the sesquicentennial episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Greg Hio. I'm in San Francisco, California, and I'm joined, as always, by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Dr. Mark Rubin down the road from me in San Jose, California. (coughs) And extra special guest for the, again, sesquicentennial episode is Mr. Tim Mitra in Toronto, Ontario. How's it going, eh? It's going well. So 150, Tim. What do you think? That's pretty auspicious, I think. It is auspicious. Several reasons, right? Why, why is it right. so auspicious, Greg? Well, we, we got a fancy name for it, right? Sesquicentennial. We have to go into the etymology, of course, right? Of course. So we have the word semi, which, you know, means like half in like a semicircle or something like that. And so we get Latin sesqui, meaning one and a half times, which is kind of an interesting prefix. So you get sesqui, meaning one and a half. And then centennial is, of course, 100 years. So it's one and a half of 100 and 150. So, wow, we made it. Have you done weekly episodes, Tim, this entire run or um, We're short one or two. But, but okay, this, this officially would be the 150th recording, but it's not really the 150th recording if you want to get technical. But Right, right. But that means we're it's coming up to like three years then, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, when we started is, in uh, August. August. Hmm? Oh, so episode one was like in August, August eighth or something like that, twenty fourteen. Yeah. Ah, cool. So only another month, uh, five weeks or so, and then you'll be hitting the three year anniversary too. That's right. Yep. Wow. Wow. So what else is uh, sesquicentennial these uh, these days, Tim? I was going to say that that uh, you know our our neighbors to the south are, are kind of like mocking us, but uh, it's as this episode comes out, it'll be the hundred fiftieth birthday or anniversary of the Confederation of Canada. Is that correct? The terminology, I think. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we back in uh, 1867, Canada signed a paper in Prince Edward Island in Charlottetown. The leaders of the country got together and signed a piece of paper making us an official country. So and some of the, some good of the problems is added later, but yeah. Yep, yep, good times. Is there like, uh, you know, are there banners up? Are they doing a big deal over there in Canada for this year? Yeah, they're doing all kinds of stuff. I think actually you two, or, sorry, Bono and Edge are going to be playing a special song at the ceremony in Ottawa where Justin wow. Trudeau will be, you know, officiating and that kind of stuff. And uh there's there's all kinds of celebrate Canada stuff going on here, you know, Canadian Tire Day special. They're not actually Canadian, right? Who, no, they're not. They're they're again <laughs> again. Why don't they get Neil Young or or uh, I don't know <laughs> Celine Dion or uh, Justin or, Bieber or something? Yeah, Joni yeah. Mitchell or uh, yeah, Tragically Hip. Uh, let's see who else. You know, Dave and Bob and Doug McKenzie could do a song. Robin Thicke do a song. Robin Thicke. Well, he's I think he was born in the states, just like um, oh, oh. Ke- the other one, Kiefer Sutherland. I think he's unofficially Canadian, but he was I think he was born in the states. So hmm. mm-hmm. okay. as was Brett Hall, he was another one. All right, so good stuff going on. I think the 4th of July here is just uh, just another year. I don't know. What year are they on? Uh, somebody will have to tell me. Uh, well, let's see. 76 would have been... 204, 241. 241? Oh, that's wow. such an interesting number. I wonder what the word for 240 is. There's got to be a word like by semi demi centennial or something like that. Maybe somebody can look that up and send us some follow-up. So is sesquicentennial, uh, just to finish off on this, is it actually a word or was it made up for celebrating this particular anniversary? No, it's a real no, word. of course it's, it's a real word. word. As much as I would love them to make up a word like that just for Canada, that is definitely a word. Okay. Okay. Yep. You can make a word called um, ses- if I can even say it, sesquicentennial A, you can make that the Canadian <laughs> version. <laughs> 
Put some U's in there and put an A at the end. Yeah, that's right. You're good. Or actually, there is a U in it, so stick an O before that U. Oh, an O. Yeah, maybe an O-U. That's all. That'll be pronounced sesquicentennial, which is, which is, you know. That sounds a little Canadian, too. That's probably appropriate. I'm sure the Americans have a way of pronouncing it, too. That's different than ours. Probably. Probably. Real-time follow-up here. It looks like episode number one of this very show was August 7th, 2014. Ooh, that was so close. Yeah. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I'll mark it on the calendar. And then for that episode, that'll also be a good one. That'll be like around 156, maybe, thereabouts, if I can do my math correctly. So it'll be a good one there, too. Find something good about that number. Uh, so speaking of follow-up and real-time follow-up, before the follow-up, of course, there's the Ask MTJC section of the show. So I'll call in Tim, because I think you got some email Ask MTJC. Is that right? I did. I got another email from Adam Beasley thanking us for answering his question about uh, creating a template or getting a template app for doing a story thing. But he asked another question here about using, I guess, extensions. He wanted to... He's building an app with the wallet and he wanted to he wanted to know he says basically how does one begin develop developing an, an add-on or extension of an existing app now this process is different from developing a native app but, but must i first contact the developer of wallet and say hey i have a project that will run on inside to be compatible with wallet please provide some direction adam beardsley um now greg you and i have both done tutorials at raywinnerlick.com on writing extensions do you think this is an applicable application of that or i guess i was a little confused by the question about whether he was asking about adding an extension to his own app or he wanted to add an extension to like somebody else's app or he wanted to do something with wallet which is like a built-in apple thing yes yeah i wasn't sure if wallet is another app but yeah no, the wallet itself is is part of part of apple's um what do they call those things okay. uh passbook right used to be called passbook mm-hmm. used to be called passbook i think they're just called um i forget maybe they're still called passes inside your wallet but the app is called wallet now yeah instead of passbook um so if you want to add an extension or add-on for your own app of course, you don't have to ask anybody. You can just add it. If you want to have an extension to somebody else's app, like if there's, um, you know, Black Box or something, the official game of the podcast, this all in caps with a trademark sign at the end, then uh, you cannot do that. You can't add add-ons to other people's apps. But Wallet is like extensible. You can, I know people do like business cards in Wallet and I've never heard of like, it doesn't say game specifically, but I can imagine like coming up with some kind of game or some kind of application within the context of a pass. I guess that's possible. So I don't know what his idea is, but you can definitely do some things with wallet. Has anyone made like passbook passes or done anything like that, standard or otherwise? I think I played with them when they first came out. But just to quickly interject here, um, if you have your app already set up and you want to add an extension to it, normally you would just go under File, New, Target, and then you choose the platform you want to add your, your target to. And if you're doing an application extension, there's a whole pile that are available now for iOS, and there's some available for Mac OS apps as well, so mm. I think, right? Um, yeah, like, you know, but there's some action extensions, audio extensions, extensions, you know, there's uh, today extensions, which Greg did an awesome tutorial on years and years ago, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But for Wallet, again, I think the most interesting thing I've seen for Wallet is people using it for um, business cards. And also, if I think somebody passed, I saw this at WWDC, but if somebody had like a passbook business card, but if you allowed it to check location, if you were near the guy, you would get like a notification saying, oh, Tim is nearby, you know, something like that, because there's mm-hmm. some kind of a beacon Bluetooth interface that you can have with the pass. Like, if you're near the airport, then your boarding pass will show up or something like that. So he was doing something right. similar, but yeah. with his own personal business card. So that's pretty oh, much really? kind of the strange, the strangest limit that I've seen. So again, I don't know exactly what his idea is of doing something within Wallet, but... Um, 
he wants to let us know, he can uh, write back or something. But that's definitely possible. But yeah, extension for another app because he says, you know, do I have to ask permission first? Again, if it's someone else's app, then that's just not even possible. There's also there's also the question that comes up from time to time with like with even with clients is is um, as as it stands right now, I don't think Wallet itself is something that Apple has opened up as a framework we can we can use in an app. And maybe that's the other part B of his question is what do you do when you want to extend something that that is like I guess this is a private framework if it's wallet right would that be correct i think you can just make your passes you have to give like a url to your pass like um again the boring passes are a good one like i'm in the air canada app or the united app and it like says here's your pass do you want to add it to your wallet and you say yes i think it makes a web request for like the pk pass file and then that's that's kind of outside your control so yeah i think we need a little more a little more detail yeah it's actually not 100 percent true that you can't extend other people's apps but in a very very limited way there are a couple of extension points like the photo extension point that lets you add a some kind of a widget that edits photos that is accessible from other people's apps. So I'm not sure if that's what he means. Uh, hmm. and, and that's kind of the whole idea of an extension in general is that is that you have you add some functionality to other people's apps, even though it's an extension technically it's an extension of your app the way it's called, but it makes that functionality available inside other people's apps. Yeah, if, if that's what he means, then 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 he should just take a look in the in the documentation, and, and there's a whole list of the of the uh, available extension points, uh, and and uh, there's template projects for each of those. So so you create the the extension inside your app, but again, like I said, you can add functionality to other people's apps. But I don't believe there's an extension point for Wallet at this point. Yeah. Uh, so really all you can do is add your own passes or, or things like that, we've been saying. And it's not to say they won't be in the future. Apple may open that up, uh, yeah. open, open up yeah. a point for us later, right? Yep. Never know. Cool. Uh, why don't we move on to a little bit of follow-up? I think uh, Jaime, aside from being the king of picks, also is the king of follow-up this week. Yeah, let's see here. We have... Um, oh, uh, Tammy will like this. So she <laughs> talked about uh, Visual Studio Code on, on the Mac, and this is uh, Swift for Visual Studio Code early preview on uh, owensd.io, which uh, talks about sort of what's available there, right? Like, you know, syntax highlighting, basic snippets, uh, and linking to Swift bugs in your comments. So more is going to come but it's just a little bit of follow-up on that capability that we mentioned. And is this like a plugin for Visual Studio Code? Or what did you guys call them? Like, extent, not extensions. What was the word that you guys used? Boy, I thought it was plugin. I, mean, I have to take a look. Oh, okay. Never mind. I thought there was some... I remember listening to the episode and there was some strange name that you, Tammy was calling them. Uh, but okay. So it's like a plugin that supports Swift. Let's see right. the next thing. Uh, yes. So Apple has uh, made it possible so that you can transfer apps that offer subscriptions. So back in ye old days, you, you couldn't really transfer apps that had certain entitlements and subscriptions was one of those. Um, I can't remember if in-app purchases has like a weird one as well, but at least as far as apps that involve subscriptions, they've made it possible for you to do so. And there's a note here about how to specifically do that through iTunes Connect, but something interesting to know if you're, you know, any developer out there considering selling your app to somebody else, it probably would have been kind of difficult to do before if you had subscriptions and now it's a lot more possible. Well, even going further back than what you said, it wasn't possible to transfer apps at all. You, you could only sell them to somebody and you had to sell them your whole 
uh, identity and and because each app is has an identifier that's attached to your developer account. And I think what a year ago, two years ago, they made it possible for us to transfer apps to other people. And you know, hands off. Apple didn't just raise their hands and said, "You guys deal with it." And they, were, they gave us a mechanism for transferring now. And the other thing too about um, uh, subscriptions is that they also have an uh, like a, a, an identity as well. I guess and that probably what was the sticky point for them to be able to transfer apps that had subscriptions in them. And I think mm-hmm. in-app purchases are the same way. From having set them up in the past for other people, there, there's always a, always a sort of a separate approval process for them as well. So for, yeah, for, yeah, I mm-hmm. always thought the having in-app purchases was okay for the transfer, but because subscriptions are like recurring billing and right, some yeah. problem about getting that transferred, whatever you know, whatever web object system or something that Apple's using, they're having trouble transferring the recurring billing part to pay somebody else. And it's like, what if I already pay taxes and now you're moving to like some company based in you know the UK or something like that? And then how do we handle that? So I think I remember hearing something like that was the reason because it was recurring billing. Whereas mm. in that purchase, it's like, I'm just going to buy it. You get the money. That's right, it. And right. then you transfer the app and tomorrow somebody buys it and it goes to the other company. It's much more straightforward. But uh, that's cool because I know a lot of the sort of uh, monetization model for a lot of apps has switched to more towards subscription. So that definitely helps, I think, people bring moving their apps around. Cool. Uh, Tim, you had a couple of notes here as well? I do. And I'm just looking for my... Oh, it's in my email. Um, so uh, we talked... I, th- I, I talked to, uh, about a, a link from... Uh, led to us by Fouad um, Kamal from our Slack group uh, that uh, the CRT ha- had mandated that uh, phones, Canadian phones, will, will now be sold, unlocked. And if you are the current owner of a phone and you want to unlock it, you can now unlock it without being charged the $50 Canadian that uh, that your provider would charge you to do that for that service, which is just a matter of flipping a switch. On a on a database somewhere, um, but uh, what I didn't what was wasn't in the article, and I, and I just actually gave a, my one of my old phones to a friend of mine who then realized that he had to get a Rogers card for it. Um, and I told him about the CRTC thing, and he followed up by telling me that he found a, a thread somewhere that said the official date is December thirty first, twenty seventeen. So if you're thinking that you're home free, you got to wait till after Christmas to be able to uh, unlock your phones or buy an unlocked phone. So that's the hmm. follow up on that. Six months away. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, you know. Patience is a virgin. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else, Tim? Um, yeah, so this is via uh, Bunny Hero, uh, a fellow on the Taco group. I always forget his real name, but he's Baron a Teacup on Twitter, and he's also Bunny Hero. I saw a tweet by him today saying that uh, he found an article on, on um, Medium that about the Not a Hot Dog app made by HBO's Silicon Valley show. And it's an article that goes through how they used, uh, if you're interested, from med- on Medium.com. We'll link in the show notes about how they used TensorFlow, Keras, and React Native to build the app. And it actually, uh, the author was saying that he actually did try it, and it, it does work, and uh, it's kind of like a rule, like if it has ketchup, it's automatically a hot dog or something like that. I just I was, I scanned through <laughs> it really quickly today. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it apparently does it does work quite well. So so if, and that's follow-up to all of our machine learning stuff that we've been talking mm-hmm. about for the last couple of weeks, as well as Silicon Valley's Not a Hot Dog app. Oh, cool. What is Keras, anyway? I don't know. Is it some kind of a deep learning library? It's a, it's, it's a, I believe it's a format uh, for, maybe there's also a library associated with it for, for doing training of neural networks. Okay. Okay. Yes. I was like, oh, so it's not like a UI library. It has something to do no, with no, no, the no. Uh, it's, it definitely has to do with the machine learning part. Yeah. I, I believe okay, the cool. only, 
in that list, the only part that is UI related and really the app related is is React Native. TensorFlow and Keras yeah. are all done on a server somewhere. Yeah, and, TensorFlow I've heard of, and React Native I yeah. know what it is. So I figured, all right, there's the UI, there's yeah. the machine learning. So yeah. Keras was a bit of a mystery. I've never heard of it before, yeah. but also yeah. machine learning related. Yeah. The the ironic thing or funny thing in some sense is if they had just waited a couple of weeks, they could have done this in Core yeah. ML in about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but knowing knowing the the production mm. schedule of um, TV shows and stuff like that, this is probably done like months ago. Like, yeah, true, the show, true. Yeah, so long, long before. I mean, when when Intensive has been around for a while, but even with Forever, Google yeah. announcing yeah. it, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. They knew they knew the joke was coming up long before we saw it. That's that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The guys on the show. Yep. But it's an interesting. There's an interesting graphic here that shows how the how the uh, the image is broken down into different uh, levels and scanned. You have the original image. You there's a, a is this way... Tim how not hot dogs sees hot dogs yeah 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 Yeah. so it kind of it looks for a cylindrical sort of sausage type thing i guess i wonder what the accuracy is like on it you know interesting yeah it's interesting how it splits it up almost like uh if you've used a photo editing app and you want to put a black and white filter there's like different kind there's like the red filter the green filter different kinds of black and white and it's almost like it's doing that to find the difference between like bread and sausage and you know since sausages are like red brown kind of color so with the correct filter you could find that it is uh interesting how they do it here and so if you're looking for an article with you know eight by ten glossy photographs with arrows and lines on the back uh this is just the one for you <laughs> lots of hot dogs what does the read doesn't medium tell you the reading time it says 23 minute read it's, it's a little bit long but uh they say 23 minutes to read this thing and tim you, you probably can't get a hot dog at alice's restaurant <laughs> you can get anything you want at alice's exactly restaurant. <laughs> except right. in alice that's true i forgot yep. that part yep. Yep. all right I think that's it for follow-up. Should we move on to some uh, some main topics? Sure. Although, as we were saying before the show, in the in the long run, every topic becomes follow-up. So probably mm-hmm. you know, that's just the way the world is going. Um, I put a note here, I think it was about over the weekend, a while ago. I, I think we had, uh, or you guys had talked before about how Apple was clearing out a bunch of apps from the store. Uh, there was that thing, when was that? Was that like six months ago or something like that? Earlier yeah, in the year where yeah. they were saying any app that hasn't been updated for something is going to be cleared out and it was going to be the great cleaning. And we were talking about whether that was for real, whether it was noticeable or not. Um, I forget when that was or what that was about. I think I think it was last WWC or something like that where I think okay. Phil Schiller came up and sort of said as part of his taking over the app store that there would be some or there was maybe it was press announcement afterwards that they were going to start cleaning up a lot of apps and um, many of us have gotten have seen notices on apps that have been idle for a long time or hadn't been updated you know hadn't had tweaks or whatever done um, and they were removed from the store I mean I know of a a number of apps I've seen a number of apps personally that that have been removed from the store but um, and a lot of games were being removed I think we we saw some numbers I think we talked about three months ago Mm -hmm. where there was some a large number of games were being removed and uh, yeah yeah. Which leads leads uh, us to this next story, right? Yeah, October. Now that I'm, uh, they actually mentioned it in the story here. So they say back in, um, they said they were removing quote problematic and abandoned apps back in October. Fifty thousand applications they were saying at the time. And uh, this story from uh, 95 Max says that they removed fifty eight thousand applications specifically mm-hmm. from the Chinese app store just in two weeks. So what they did for first round kind of globally last year, they've removed that many just from uh, the Chinese or sorry, I shouldn't say Chinese apps. I think it's just as Chinese apps from the app store. So maybe they were specific to China as well. So that's not entirely clear. They could have made global, globally accessible apps as well. But there we go. And a third of those apps that were removed of the 58,000 were games. So probably not surprising because I don't know what percentage of the app store is games, but it's a lot. Um, so anyway, that's a lot of apps um, that have uh, been removed. So I don't know if you heard in the last couple of weeks, we talked about 
about an app that were it was a nefarious app offering you VPN access that uh, <laughs> yeah had the ninety dollar a month uh, recurring subscription. Speaking of subscriptions, mm-hmm. um, that I think those I, I wonder if some of those apps are part of the part of the cleanup as well. But I guess is it not related to the story? I thought it was. Um, I don't know. I'm sure they're cleaning out apps sort of throughout. It just seems like maybe their focus was turned for whatever reason to um, apps from China or targeting the Chinese mm. app store. Like maybe it's not apps from China, but it could be people who are making apps for the large Chinese market and they're trying to clean those, clean up the store a little bit. Um, well, I would sure hope no. if they're if they're removing thousands of apps that they got those. Yeah. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. So yeah. looking at the numbers, though, I mean, I've always talked about on the show. I've talked about you know the Canadian market for apps. You know, like in my case, like getting featured on the app store in Canada is is woohoo. We open a beer and have a celebration, right? But um, see, the U.S. app store is ten times the size of Canada, and the Chinese app store or Chinese mark app store market, if you want, to, what do you want to call it, is ten times the size of the United States. So uh, in terms of the volume of potential sales and stuff like that, so it, it is that is that in fact, terms of number of apps or number of users? I think it's number of users and potential sales. So like if you really yeah. want to, yeah. you really do want to make money and you can write a seriously good app. I mean, definitely translate it into Chinese because you you have a good chance of, of of making some good scratch. We talked about this on oh, a while ago about uh, I think after the last um, NS North, one of the speakers talked about the fact that he had localized his app to work in, and he went and worked with government and he worked with because uh, in Canada we have a consulate here who will help businesses break into Asian and wherever markets you want to get into. And one of them was one of the ways he was doing it was by localizing his app and and finding out what the needs were specifically for that market and building an app to to suit it. And um, so if you're if you if you have an app or like maybe you're making utility or something that could work well, the potential to sell apps in the United States is great, but the t- potential to sell apps in China Chinese apple store, Chinese markets or even Indian markets is even even larger, right? Just because of the population mm-hmm. number of phones. Mm-hmm. So by that by that number, I'm sure Greg, you're probably doing the calculation on the back of your napkin there that you know 58,000 apps in the Chinese market is nothing really. I mean, there are so many apps like when they introduced um, like Weibo and those other social networks. Right. Like yeah. Back in the, I think in iOS 11, this is removed, but you used to be able to log into Facebook and Twitter and Flickr and Vimeo and things like that, um, sort of at the system level on iOS, which I believe I heard were removed in iOS 11. So, but we, so we had a handful of them, but there were also like another, like double the number of like China specific ones that they talked about in one of the announcements. But then since none of us here are in China or speak Chinese, or I think at least none of us do, then like we never saw that and so but meanwhile there's like this whole other world of the social networking service like you know like wechat and things like that that do more than just chat right right and um yeah so it's kind of easy to have it out of my out of sight out of mind kind of thing but uh always articles like this that make that uh, remind me of just what you said tim about the opportunity if you do have your app translated into uh chinese that does open a lot of doors i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that also means you'll be under the microscope and if you have one of those <laughs> evil VPN apps and you put it in China, then maybe it will get removed. So not that you should be making those kinds of apps anyway. So, so what do you, what do you mean by, by when you said, just I want to go back to what you said there about, about being able to log into other apps previous to iOS yeah. 11. Maybe you're talking about the new sandboxing rules that are coming in iOS 11, but... Um, I had heard that that was not there anymore. Like, you know, when you go to the settings app and you scroll down and... You oh, right, into, right, again, right. Aren't those gone now? Oh, I don't know. 
You mean when you're talking about logging something. into Facebook and things like that? Is that what you mean? Log into Facebook and log into Twitter and I think it was Flickr and Vimeo. Maybe Tumblr was there as well? Yeah, um, yeah. I yeah. think my iOS 11 phone is, of course, I don't use it, so it's out of battery, so I can't check. Hmm. Yeah. I had thought that somebody, I had read something that those were gone. But, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the, auto, the auto. iOS 11 phone right here. Let me check. Okay. Yeah, that was my understanding as well, Greg, that they were removed and there was a lot of oh, really? consternation about whether that would cause some sort of issues. But mm-hmm. I think practically speaking, most apps have switched to using the alternative methods of logging in via Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. And I think the other big thing with that was, I think that might have been the time when they introduced like the expanded share sheet and share extensions and they wanted, hey, if you log in with Facebook and Twitter and Flickr, then when you hit the share sheet, you can share to Facebook, Twitter, you know, Flickr. And they really wanted to kind of bootstrap the share sheet. But now that apps themselves have share extensions, I think maybe Apple's like, yeah, we don't need to support that anymore. So maybe it was just a temporary bootstrap for them to get people on board with the sharing. And now it's probably not needed anymore. So All right, I really, I really like that feature. I'm going to miss it. Because mm-hmm. yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I log in with Twitter and I, I tweet from the Photos app and I tweet from other apps all the time, right? So I mean, if you have the Twitter app installed, you can still do that. I think if you had the Twitter app installed, the share sheet would actually bump you over to Twitter. And if you didn't have it installed, it would bring up that little box that you could type into. Is that right? I remember there was some different yeah. behavior if you have the app installed versus not. But um, anyway, maybe I should have done some more research before starting to talk about this. Mark, do you have an <laughs> iOS I, 11 phone? I do. You can report and with I some real-time follow-up. I can confirm right now that in my iOS 10 phone, I have entries for Twitter, Facebook, Flickr, Vimeo, and TV provider. <laughs> I have that too. Yeah. And in and iOS, iOS 11, only, only TV provider is still there. Okay, so they seem to have gotten rid of that. Kind of makes sense again. Kind of makes sense because I I think that was the point of it was they're introducing the share and they didn't want people to share and have like nothing show up there. So they wanted to have some services in there. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the last note I had about this app removal thing was uh, I think part of the initiative last year was to start removing apps that um, didn't have a 64-bit slice that provided that very scary warning in iOS 10 that, you know, this app is going to totally slow down your system. You better email, send some angry email to your developer and um, since iOS 11 is going to get rid of the 32-bit runtime, maybe there'll be maybe there'll be an even more aggressive cleanup coming this fall. Who well, knows? I can confirm that one too. I have a couple of old apps that were never updated to 64-bit, and they don't work mm-hmm. in iOS 11 mm-hmm. yep. at all. They yep. don't. They don't even launch. Yeah, I mean the whole run the 32-bit runtime is just gone. So yep. it's like, nope, can't even run this anymore. So it'll be another good maybe inflection point in the history of apps to say you know another great cleanup coming this year, which I think is uh, is going to be good. With apologies to your apps, of course, Mark. Well, I have to spend a couple of days and you know, get them up to date pretty soon. That's on me. All right. What else do we have? Jaime, I think you have a interesting article looking looking article about vector images of all things from Erica Sadoon, who I usually think of a um a Swift nerd. Yeah, in this case it's about a new feature, or I guess an expanded feature in, in Xcode, uh, Xcode 9 in particular. So for a while we've been able to use vector images like vector PDFs, let's say, as the assets you want to use, like in an asset catalog for you know various icons you might use, you know, for your tab bar or a fancy logo somewhere. But the way that always worked is that it would sort of save you the effort of having to put in both a 1x, a 2x, and a 3x image of some sort, right? Like a, what is it, ping probably before. And now you can just say, oh, here, this is vector PDF. This is the dimensions that it would be at 1x. And it will sort of automatically, I think at build time, create um, or generate the actual assets themselves and put yeah. them in the bundle and everything goes great. That's the way but I remember what, hearing it too. Yeah. 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 And what that, you know, well, that was nice. What it wouldn't do is it wouldn't actually let you use the asset in arbitrary 
scary ways. And um, Erica sets up a little example comparing and contrasting like, okay, what if I use the asset and then blow it up to like, I don't know, 30 times or something. I'm not sure how much bigger she made this, um, this little dog asset. And you can see that, well, when you have a pre-rendered asset, it looks terrible, right? It blows up and it gets all pixelated. But on the other side, we have an actual, you know, maintain this vector image setting on it. You can use it and scale it arbitrarily. It looks just great because it's just vector data and it's infinitely scalable. Hmm. Okay. So it's not pre-generating like 2x and 3x and installing it at build time, but the PDF is actually making it into the resource bundle. And then at runtime, when you say scale it, it's apparently scaling the PDF on the fly. Yeah, that appears to be the case. Yeah. No, cool. that's that's okay. my understanding. And she does mention that there might be minor performance hits in terms of scaling and rendering here, mm. um, as opposed to having something sort of already sliced and ready to go. But um, I guess if you're not looking to push the limits of this and put, you know, a thousand one by one or a million <laughs> one by one <laughs> images and then start scaling them uh, in some arbitrary way, you probably would up okay, I think, with this. Yeah. Plus, I imagine if you just scaled it 5x and put it on the screen, that would be one thing. But if you were like animating a scale in a transform or something, or not the transform, a scale in a rotate or something, maybe that would start stressing something, some kind of compositing, or I don't know if it's GPU-based or not, but that I can imagine being being a problem. But if you just like say, hey, I want to show this at this particular um, frame or this size or this transform, like just one time, that's surely kind of lightweight enough to do, I would think. Yeah, I mean, the thing about vector images is they, they tend to be, at, at small scales, they tend to be larger because they're, they're just basically mathematical uh, references like curve two, line two, that kind of stuff, and some coordinates. So it's all numbers and math, but the ability to scale it. There was another technology that used to be, uh, it never ran on the iPhone properly that um, I think Adobe made. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was that did a similar kind of thing where you would have vector objects and you could scale them and animate them without much of a performance hit, although that was that could be argued as well. It began with an F and ended with a SH. I can't remember. Hmm. Anyway, but yeah, so this is this is great for, for I mean, I, we talked about um, putting, uh, using vector art for your icons about six months ago or uh, uh, there was an article, I think somebody spoke about it and we, we talk, followed up on it. And I've used it in some of my apps for some of the newer icons and things like that. But uh, this is this will be great. So, so yeah, some of those at 3X or, or you know, 2X for the for the iPad could get pretty huge. Yeah. So if you if you can get rid of all those, that would be great. And really yeah, reduce the size yeah. of your bundle. Fonts work yeah. this way too, because fonts are basically vector art as well. They they can be backed up with a bitmap preview. And back in the early, early days, you know, of Mac, uh, you know, in the 80s, we had bitmap previews of things. and um, But you could you if you had a vector font you could scale it up or a vector graphic you could scale it up to any size you want and that was the beauty of vector right is so it never never distorted or or uh, went jaggy we used to call those jaggies right <laughs> I was saying, whatever happened to SVG support? I remember when that was going to take over mm. the web as yes. it's like XML based, right? From yeah. What I remember? Yeah. It's like a text, it's basically a, a text file describing um, like the vector and the lines and the curves and whatnot. And I think they render in WebKit, but you can't like drag an SVG, I think, to your asset right. catalog. I don't think that works, but whatever so, happened with so, that? So, Greg, if you take a look at the comment section of, the, of Erica's article here, there's actually a, a oh. long discussion on all that. I never read comments. Yeah. Mm. You, know how, you know how internet comments can be, but I guess on Erica's site, they're probably more, uh, there's probably some, you know, good conversation there. I'll, yeah. I'll have a look. Mm -hmm. So can you give me the TLDR, Mark, if you've read through them already? I haven't read through them all. I just kind of scanned it, but it's, okay. uh, the TLDR seems to be that, yeah, there's still some stuff happening, not a huge amount of stuff. Uh, there's a website called macsvg.org that has an open source WebKit based SVG editor. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if that's uh, just uh, officially supported or if that's just someone who put that up, I can't tell from here. Uh, and uh, yeah, looks like there's there's enough people interested that there's a, 
fairly lively discussion. So back in the software war days, you know, we had wars between Apple and Microsoft. We also had wars between in, uh, Adobe and Cork Express with InDesign and Cork Express. But there was another one between Illustrator and a program called Freehand, which is, um, I think, originally by a company called Macromind. And one of the two of those camps invented SVG, and the other one had PDF, of course, right? And I think at some point they, I think Adobe always had PDF, but there was some sort of argument about, you know, which was going to be the winner of the day. And then Adobe just bought the other company and settled the argument, right? And I think that maybe where SVG went, but it's still around. It's, uh, Macromedia you're thinking of, right? Yeah, Jim, Macromedia, Macromedia, yeah. Macrom- Flash people. Yeah, Macromedia. Well, so what happened was when Adobe bought uh, uh, Aldus, which was a maker of a freehand, the Macromedia guys had some sort of rights. And so they spun off into their own company and didn't get part of the actual acquisition, but eventually they got rolled in. Um, this is sometime in the 90s. But but I, I do remember SVG and uh, Adobe Illustrator, P, uh, EPS, there was a big argument about which one was going to win the day. And at the end of the day, as you know, as we all know, PDF kind of sort of won. But um, that's a little bit of history on, on SVG and not accurate history, just you know, from what I remember. <laughs> history nonetheless. Were you a Quark Express guy, Tim? I was a Quark guy. What were, I was what a Quark. Yeah, I was a Quark guy. But okay. uh, and I and I was actually I actually was at the the introduction of what was in development was called K2, which was supposed to be uh, the big, you know, Quark killer. Um, but because uh, all this made PageMaker before, which we used to call RageMaker. And then um, and it was a, it was a nightmare. It used to crash like crazy. But um, and it was a big argument between PageMaker and Quark, right? And then Adobe came or oh, so yeah, Adobe came out with this this InDesign product, uh, which I've always sort of had 1.0. And then I think uh, I want to say around 2012, no, so 2002, um, InDesign started to edge Quark out. And I think part of the reason was when um, Adobe came to iOS 10 first. And so InDesign started sort of winning the, the day. And, and the Quark is kind of, Quark's still out there, but InDesign is definitely the desktop publishing uh, software of choice these days. Are they still out there? I had no idea. Although I, I don't do any of that stuff anymore, so I, I wouldn't know. But they're still around, huh? I don't. I used to be a Quarky reseller, so I still get emails. Oh, hey, 10's coming out and get ready for 11 and whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Still out there making. I guess they still make magazines these well, days, right? So I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and Carol is Carol's a big Quark user too. She started out in, in her career as in, in layout, page layout, and she like for, for years was like, you can't get Quark Express Seven out of my cold dead hands, kind of thing, right? Uh, but she, but even she's had to come over to InDesign, and she she grumbles every single time she opens it. Yep. Yeah. I remember I learned FrameMaker back when I was doing uh, yeah. technical writing. That was another one. Yeah. I think has been. I think that was killed off, and they told everyone to use InDesign. Yeah, FrameMaker was part was. Was that Adobe or was that Aldus as well? I think it was Aldus, but I think Adobe bought them and they came out with one or two more versions. Right, seven right. Seven and eight maybe were Adobe products. And then I believe they said, no, really, really, guys, come on, InDesign. Yeah. And then I think they came out with eight and it was like, you know, uh, it was like an ancient looking. I think eight might have been Windows only. So all the Mac people right. got angry because FrameMaker 7, FrameMaker 7 was the last one and it was only right. classic Mac OS. Anyway, good old days. And Aldus also had the best slide presentation software called Persuasion, Aldus persuasion it was the best and then what it got killed it got squished by microsoft office right with uh powerpoint but yeah no it was it was one of the better products that kind of that's kind of lost in time but uh you know it, it was it was not as not as i mean keynote's really nice if you if you do any kind of that kind of stuff but uh mm. all this persuasion they were the first one to have all these really cool transitions and it was really really nice software but oh well mm. lost that's in, a good name too persuasion I yeah like that. yeah moving on all right should we move on to uh picks or pucks yeah call them in honor of Ken? 
can of the day. I exactly. feel like this is going to be a very puck-heavy show, and uh, <laughs> I think half the show for you guys is usually picks anyway, so uh, why don't we move on to that? Sure. Uh, Tim, uh, you, you set them up as proxy picks because you thought you might not make it, but right. you made it. Right. For the, we'll say it again. Sesquicentennial. So, what are your picks? All right. So, yeah, uh, this came out about a day or two after our last recording um, from Ben Sherman, and it's the ultimate guide to JSON parsing with Swift 4. It's pretty cool, and uh, if you go through if, you, if you're curious at all about how to um, deal with JSON uh, objects and how to create uh, structs and enums and stuff to read through them, um, it's a pretty cool read. Uh, I hadn't really gone through and tried it out. But shortly thereafter, some other guy also, this is like, so I've got two picks here that are related. I'm sort of doing the Jaime Lopez related pick thing. Um, is this pick two or pick one and a half? Though? Well, how are you numbering? I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I, Sorry. I, go go we, on. We can name it off the provinces or something. I'm just trying to think of some relevant. Um, so one is the the um, what is the name Punch Imlac Award, and the second one will be the Heart Trophy. Goes to <laughs> Greg Hio. You're losing the fast here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Heart I Trophy with, with Greg Hio with the uh, with the JSON encoder and encodable. Talking about the protocol and uh, and curiously, he goes through how uh, NS Key Cover works and uh, as well, and then goes through the new stuff in Swift 4 with the encodable protocol. Is it codable? Codable, right? Um, codable is the super protocol. Yeah, right. This called JSON Encoder with Encodable, and it's by our friend Greg Hio, and it was written June 25th, 2017. So I recommend both of those articles. Link in the show notes. Do you have anything to say about that, to Greg? The, I was hoping to win the Calder Memorial, you know? Calder? Like, uh, well, you know, the, yeah, the heart. The, the heart. one. I always like that one better. That's true. Well, the heart is, the, the uh, I think, the most gentlemanly player. Oh, is that it? I thought that was, like, yeah. just MV, general MVP. No, that's right? something different. Uh, uh, I think that's the, the, it's the one that's shaped like Maple Leaf Gardens is the is most valuable player one, I think. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll take the heart then. That's yeah. Now, so, if only someone would write a an article on JSON encoding in Commodore 64 Basic, that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have your mission there, Greg. Uh, hi, well, maybe we should say Jaime for last because he's going to have a million picks. Uh, Mark, did you have a pick? I do. So, uh, as we've mentioned a couple of times, uh, Canada Day is is coming up soon, and the uh, sesquicentennial of Canada. Uh, so, in honor of our friends from Canada, uh, Apple has put out a nice. Uh, set of uh, what would you call this? A, 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 a they've enlisted uh, three Canadian artists to come up with something that they're calling a portrait of Canada, which is a short film. Uh, and they haven't seen the film, but uh, there's a nice article that shows some of the shots that are in it, and uh, it's available on Apple's website. Unfortunately, I don't see any of the people we know in any of the, the pictures, but you know, it's open for that. But you know, you can't have everything. I sure hope there's like maple syrup and a mousse and things like that. I'll have to watch the video. Yeah, too. actually, I don't, like I don't was, see uh, anything that shot on iPhone also seems like the important. Uh, I think that was it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing uh, obviously Canadian as far as I can tell in these pictures, but okay. We'll have to watch the actual film and then uh, maybe we can have some yep. follow up next week. Yeah, you guys have a better eye for that stuff than me, so you'll, you'll know better. <laughs> Tim will find all the Canadian uh, little uh, Easter eggs in there, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaime, is it time for Picorama? You know, Greg, I think you, I think you overhyped it here. I think in in this week, <laughs> the week of Greg, um, I'm deferring here to only have a single pick this week, and that is an article called uh, "iOS Simulator Power Ups" by Jordan Morgan over at Buffer. And way back in episode, what did I write here? 139. It's all magic to me, man. I mentioned some of the simulator uh, command line tools you could use, specifically for taking screen shots or taking video. It turns out there's a whole lot more that you can do that I wasn't aware of. Like you can 
run URL schemes on there and say, hey, you know, launch this thing, you know, launch this uh, particular scheme through there. So if you're testing, you know, like my app is cold and then not actually running through the simulator or uh, through any sort of attached debugger, and you want to see what's going on, that would be completely useful. I, I definitely would have loved that rather than sort of my old way of, of, you know, manually copying something into like mobile Safari and the simulator and then using that as a poor man's way of doing it. Uh, you can do some mm-hmm. other cool things too, like um, adding media, which is another one that's, that's really you know nice if you want to add photos or videos to the like camera roll or photo albums, a photo library on the device. That's really useful too. So if you wanted to check like, okay, well, what if this file is, you know, slightly different in some way? Maybe it's a really large file or really small, or maybe it's slightly corrupted or some of its EXIF data is inconsistent, you know, that sort of thing. Could uh, be or PDF maybe it's just too, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's great because I've always sort of struggled. It's like, oh man, how am I going to get this particular file on here to test this out? And I've sort of deferred to using actual devices that had access to that. And so some of these things are really handy too, like resetting the device continent settings, um, launching apps by their bundle ID and, and doing all sorts of things. It, it's a longer article. Does this have a timer on it? I don't know. It probably <laughs> took me 20 minutes to read this article and, and it probably took me longer if I wanted to go in and try. It says six minutes, but there's probably not a lot of text, but it's very dense, I imagine. So that's why it only says six. Right. And you want to try one of these, each one of these things out. I didn't know you could do iCloud sync in, in the simulator. I was just going to bring that one up. That was amazing to me, forcing an iCloud sync. I'm like, wow, I sure could have used that when I was doing iCloud related things. Okay. So in any case, a lot of fun little tools. It will take you more than six minutes to sort of run through and try all of these, even if it's only a six minute read on uh, on Medium. That's cool. Cool. Well, I have a handful of picks, um, some micro micro picks, I'll call them. So uh, the first two are sort of WWDC related. We, are, I was t- we were talking earlier about how I think a lot of us are still in sort of the WWDC coma or haze or whatever you want to call it. And so um, a couple of things came out. The WWDC videos with trans Transcripts are now out. I thought it was faster last year, but, you know, I don't know. My memory's not that great. But if you go to the WWDC 2017 videos page, then you can, you know, watch the videos, you can download them, and then there's now a tab for transcripts. I believe all of them was the report I had heard now have transcripts. You can just read through it, and I haven't tried it, but I believe last year if you clicked on the word, it would, like, advance the video. Is that right? I'm actually going to try it now just for some real-time follow-up. But as the video played, yes. So the words, maybe groupings of, like, single words up to four words at the time are linked, and if you click on it, it should advance the video to that point. So really, That's really cool. handy. I was like kind of reading it and saying, usually I would, I used to just go through the slides and then say, oh, that slide looks good and try to fast forward to that point in the video. But here you can just read the transcript and just click on the word that sounds interesting and it'll just zoom right to uh, right to that part of the video. So very, very handy, um, especially to have it right on the official site, not having to rely on like ASCII WWDC or something like that, which was also a very excellent service. I wonder if that's up too. I should check that out. That was my first micro pick. Second micro pick is that we had another round of betas. Uh, I think last week there was another Xcode 9 seed and all of the iOS, macOS, all that stuff. Another round of betas, but also the public betas are now out. I believe for macOS and for iOS 11. So I'm going to give that another try because I installed iOS 11 beta 1 and had horrible luck with it and I had to revert back to 10. But maybe now that it's a public beta, I'm making air quotes here, that means it's, um, you know, they have a little more confidence in it to unleash it to unsuspecting members of the public. So I'm going to try out the public beta. So those are also out this week. So that raises two questions for me. One is how does one install the public betas? I know how to install the developer betas, but how would uh, a listener or myself even install onto my, say, iPhone 6 Plus? Oh. Yeah, last time, last year it was the same where you would have
have to go to, I think it's beta.apple.com and you kind of sign in with your Apple ID. And then I think there was like a waiting list. This is, They did this in advance and there was kind of a waiting list. I think last time when I did it, like they just said thanks. And then right away, I think it's similar where they um, send you one of those mobile provision files and you install right, it. Is right. that how it works? Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I haven't done it yet, so I don't know. But that last year, at least that's how it worked. It was very similar to the um, like developer program betas. And then you would just put that on your phone and then you know go to software update and do all of that. So I assume it's similar to that, but uh, we can follow up on the exact instructions or you can try it out. I believe that is the URL. So we'll have that in the show notes too, the uh, link to the beta program if you want to sign up. Okay, so my second question, my second question is, how did you then, if you once you decided you didn't like the beta, go back to iOS, iOS 10 on your machine? Did you have you to do always... a restore or whatever or get it downloaded an image and do a restore? Yeah, I plugged it into iTunes and did the restore, which I believe is totally allowed during the beta period. And then after iOS 11 is released, then you can't go back to previous versions. But right, during the beta right. period, you can always go back. I think last time, again, I had luck when I installed the iOS 10 beta and I didn't like it. I reinst- I sort of did an upgrade. Again, I'm making air quotes here. An upgrade to iOS 9 and it worked. But I've heard that that's not officially, I think that's not officially supported. You are supposed to restore, like completely wipe, restore to iOS 9 and then reinst- uh, sorry, restore your backup is the way you're supposed to do it. But I managed to kind of upgrade it or downgrade it, I guess. Right. So yeah, so that's what I did this time. It was, I just got my iPad, so it was brand new anyway. And I figured I haven't really, I mean, I did set it up the way I like it, but I figured it was too weird. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, it was stuck on the loading screen. So I just wanted to clean wipe it and reinstall iOS 10 anyway. So that's what I did. But maybe I'll try the public beta since it's out now. Yeah, we had a, we had a, a phone last year that we got locked out of and we had to restore it. But we wanted to restore it back to a previous version, not the current shipping version. And we found that Apple does, Apple signs the older, like the older ones. You can find them on the web if you go searching for them. Um, but mm. after a while, they stop signing them. So you can't go too far back. I think you can go like maybe a, a build or two back or maybe even like an N-1 version back. But uh, I think you can go like one version back I'm, yeah. I'm talking like a point release kind of thing or not a point release but like a the second digit of yeah the, maybe know, maybe 8.1 yeah like the previous one but they only keep that open for like a few weeks or something I've yeah like i said they stopped signing the old they stop yeah. they take this they just they, i guess they destroy the certificates for the for at certain certain levels to sort of i mean because they've always got to support i mean they always want you to use the latest latest version and their rationale is because it has the latest security patches and that kind of stuff in it as well as all the features but um they do they i, I was around iOS 9, I think maybe it was like a version of 8 or, um, we, like, we couldn't go back as far as we wanted to go. We could only go to, like, you know, like a like half a version or a couple of builds earlier. Um, and, and then that, that's when I discovered that Apple stopped signing them uh, after a certain point, right? Or they destroy the, revoke, revoke the certificates. That's the terminology I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. I remember back in my jailbreak days, you could save some, like, if you had iOS 8 installed and you had it installed, you could save the bits of, like, the signing and <laughs> you upgrade to 8.1 and you upgrade to 8.2 if you ever wanted to go back to 8 and you had those bits saved then with the jailbreak it could like pretend that it was properly signed and you could go back but if you lost that then you couldn't go back because they couldn't get it re-signed or something like that I do remember they had something like that where they had one of those apps on your phone like obviously from like the jailbreak store that could save the previous signing bits you could always go back to a version but it was tied to the version and tied to your hardware so it's not like somebody else could give you their iOS 8 file it was like tied to the hardware as well I kind of remember mm-hmm. something like that right. but I don't 
uh, I don't use my jailbreak phone that much anymore. So uh, that's public beta. So my real pick, those are the micro picks, believe it or not. The real pick is a book called Optimizing Collections. This came out a few weeks ago. I believe I got it while I was traveling. Um, I think it was in Portugal. So it would have been like a month ago. But uh, the book's called Optimizing Collections. It's from the obc.io folks. The author's name, I'm sorry, I, I don't think I would even try to pronounce it. Caroli Laurenti. Again, apologize. Oh, I'll, I'll try it. Uh, I don't know. There's accents, so you never know. Um, so it's from the, like I said, the obviously.io folks who do like Advanced Swift and they have the functional programming book, I think a core data book and maybe one other one I'm forgetting. But uh, the book is, as the name suggests, about collections. So it's kind of geared towards if you are writing your own collection, then you could you would obviously be interested in optimizing collections. But I don't, well, I don't know. I shouldn't say I, nobody, but I don't think many people are writing their own collections. For me, this is just a really good reference to understand how collections work, which seems to be a mm-hmm. very hot topic in Swift. People are very interested in like sequence and, you know, random access collection and the difference and things like that. So it's a really good, you know, obviously.io quality book about collections. Specifically, they talk about like, how would you implement uh, copy and write yourself? They have a few examples. Everybody's favorite uh, red black trees is one of the examples for, uh, that's kind of the usual kind of whipping boy example for uh, horrible whiteboard job interviews where mm-hmm. someone tells you to implement a red black tree. Uh, like I mentioned, copy on right. And it's just about optimizations in general for collection. So it's, again, great if you're writing your own collection, but also helps you understand uh, the standard library collections a little bit better and how they work and talks about performance a lot. So this is really interesting from, a, I think, a theoretical point of view for me. But I think um, I'm still working on getting through the book, but I hope there'll be some kind of practical things that I can learn from it as well for you know, working in Swift. Has anyone else bought this book or, or read it already? No, news to me. Yeah, just heard about it just now. Okay. So that answers to whiteboard questions were install Swift 4 and drop the mic. <laughs> you yeah, can try that out really... and uh, maybe report back. Tell me how yeah, that works. Depends how badly you want the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was being really snarky at that time. I was like, oh, look, it's like reverse the string. Oh, there you go. You, you, you've solved the interview problem by using Swift 4. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also uh, swapping characters uh, in place or something. I can't remember what, what the exact function was. But um, red black trees, as, as Greg hinted you here, is also one of those data structures that there's a really good chance you'll end up getting on a traditional computer Is that for real? I was kind of review. almost just joking about that oh yeah 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 red black trees and bee trees which was famously inverting a bee tree on a whiteboard was the interview test at google that caused the homebrew developer to fail out of Uh, oh really wow join the the nooglers uh there so okay you know i think this is an an interesting topic here just considering my background it's like oh yeah you know computer science we did a lot of these sort of data structures actually kind of been a while since i've really had to use them if which you know nakedly which which kind of says a, a lot about you know how typical this sort of thing is for you know, like sort of the everyday developer type thing, but there are important lessons to learn from why these things are set up that way. And if you're in an area that's doing a lot of high performance algorithm, um, sort of where you probably are doing this sort of thing, you're not just like, oh yeah, Swift, whatever, just whatever it uses out of the box. Like, no, 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 you're probably hand tuning your own algorithm because those, you know, nanoseconds probably matter to you given the scale that you're working at. Mm. Yeah. One project I've been, I've been planning to do when I get some free time, which is never, but when I get some, uh, is to take an algorithms book and just go through it from front to back and write each algorithm in Swift mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to be able to just to do it. It's a good refresher. I plan on doing that with uh, C++ because I wanted to brush up on C++. Yeah. So I was going to use, you know, all the new C++ 14 or 17 or whatever they're up to now. I was going to try it there and, you know. Yeah, lots of ugliness yeah. there in C++. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten a couple opinion. of algorithms in, but yeah. yeah, Swift sounds like a much nicer uh, 
a much nicer idea. Yeah. And as a bonus, um, looking here, you know, you can get things as a group. So for the ebook, you can get that, but you can also get the team ebook for teams of five people. They also have the bundle for uh, some of their other books like core data, optimizing collections, as mentioned here, functional Swift and advanced Swift uh, for a reduced bundled price. How and books they, do they will... have it's, that's four. four okay. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. okay yeah. Cool. And they're going to be updating this book for Swift four later this year. So if you were concerned about buying and then rebuying, don't because you can buy it now and you'll still get all the benefits when uh, they update to Swift 4. Yeah, they're very kind of like uh, how the RayWendorf.com folks update the books and you get, if you buy the PDF, you, um, you know, they're not going to ship you new paperback books. Right, but if you yeah. buy the PDF, you get kind of free updates as it goes on. And I think the Opti.io guys have been doing the same thing, which is uh, which is always nice. So I guess the book is written for sort of Swift 4 beta-ish. And so, uh, yeah, that'll be good. Once Swift 4 is kind of officially released, then it'll be it'll be up to date. So that's cool. Um, I had an extra, oh, I had an extra trivia note. Why is it called a red black tree? Um, apparently when they wrote the paper about red black trees way back in the day the kind of publication the journal that they published it in had like one color recently like it was a black and white back in those days but they could also do red and so when they wrote their paper about it they were like oh well let's use red so we can you know it's actually like coloring elements in the tree two different colors and so since red was the color that the printer had they decided to call them red black trees so there's nothing special about the colors it's just what the printers could do so that's why they're called red black trees as opposed to a filled in circle and not filled in circle (laughs) yeah cross hatch going Going left, cross hedge, going right tree. That that name does they not had work access as well. to the ink. Come on, yeah, sure. yeah. You would think like diamond circle trees or something. <laughs> just just two different shapes. The processing power was not was just not there back in the day. Yeah. Medium gray, dark gray tree. Yeah, that doesn't work as well. But that is the story I heard about why they're called red black trees. So there's so that. so what is plausible? So what is the what is the lesson to be learned from a red black tree? What to the, the novices in the crowd? I've never seen one before. They're binary search trees. So they're okay, kind right. Of, um, but they're self-balancing is the idea. So normally if you have a normal binary search tree, every time you add something or remove something, you can worry about having a very unbalanced tree where it's like the left side has like a hundred nodes and the right side only has two. And so once in a while, if you have a normal binary search tree, you have to like rebalance it. Um, kind of like a heap. I mean, that doesn't help. I shouldn't say that. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, red black tree is uh, self-balancing. So as you add and remove things, it kind of make sure that the left and the right side stay as balanced as possible. So that's kind of the, the extra bonus. Oh, so like my geese squad guys are flying in a, cir- in a, in a chevron, right? You have to always have a... Like... <laughs> well, the geese is always added on the on yeah. the opposite V, Pretty right? Pretty much, yeah. 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 Except they're not red. how geese do yeah. They're not red and black. That's the <laughs> no, that's true. No, no, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> well, the Canadian ones are red, so there's that. <laughs> I wonder how geese do it. Don't they use some kind of like echolocation thing to see where they where each other are? They can like sense the wind of the wing, wings flapping or something. Yeah, that's why they, hon- they honk as well, right? So that's why they honk. Ah, the honking. Okay. Yeah. And you know, you know, so, they yeah. take they take turns being the leader, right? It's like like when when bicycle pelotons are racing. You know, there's mm. always like a group of four, and they, and one guy takes the, takes on the wind. So one will lead, and he'll get tired, and then another another goose will take his place, and he goes back to the end, and it's just like I guess it's nature's way of, of uh, preserving energy, right? Hmm. So, you know, getting that extra lift from the ones in front that sort of yeah, exactly. saves you on the yeah. energy. And it's very similar to drafting in uh, mm-hmm. car racing, right? Like NASCAR, let's say. You, it'd be very important to sort of be tailing behind the other car that's 
immediately in front of you sort of save on that efficiency right and you'll see that technique where they'll just like whip out at the very end so yeah. if you see the person it's sort of like a two person two cars where like one car is directly behind the other like you don't want to be that car in front uh, funny en- enough because you're going to end up suffering if you don't maneuver yourself correctly to avoid that that sort of problem because in the wake but of the car there's a vacuum and they pull it pulls the other car along right so and that's kind of you can do that with you can follow trucks on the highway or or like i said bicycle riders racing bicycle racers do that and the geese as well mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. geese are socialists who would have thought <laughs> those canadians i tell you yeah i was gonna say how very canadian of them these geese <laughs> All right, that, that's that's probably enough politics talk right there, right? Just saying the S word, and then we can we can wrap it up. Um, I think that's it. It's going to be a short show, right? And then the after maybe, show will be maybe. another hour. But why don't we uh, why don't we wrap it up here? It's already been think? an hour and a half. It's not that short. Uh, well, there was pre-show, and then we have uh, oh, show, true. and then after show. Yeah, but yeah. my recording is a, an hour five minutes. So I think hmm. we're I think we're in good shape here. Um, so, Jaime, if people want to get a hold of you on the internet, where should they look? The best place is on Twitter as at devwiththehair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And Tim, how would people find you on the Twitter machine, as they say? Yeah, on the Twitter machine, I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and that's where you can find me. And as I said at the top of the show, my name is Greg Hugh. I'm also Greg Hugh on Twitter. Thank you for joining us for this special sesquicentennial episode. I can't help but say it as many times as I can. And um, that's it for the week, and we'll see you all next week. And keep your stick on the ice move to where the puck is going <laughs> that's true you hoser <laughs> take off you hosers goodbye <laughs> <laughs> bye oh, bye bye we're gonna say bye until next week we'll say goodbye that's the line Craig. until next week we'll say goodbye bye bye a bye you've just experienced the more than just code podcast if you want to find out more about the show you can visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Are you guys using Apple Music? No. No? No? Yes. I'm not. I'm just leeching off the free Spotify, which means every half hour or so I get an ad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Sometimes if I'm lucky, I'm like, oh, man, I can just... Spotify here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, oh, man, I could just tap on this ad, put it, you know, off to the side of my desk, go do something completely unrelated, and then it finishes, and great, I've got like another half hour of uh, ad-free programming. Sure, but we'll go to Starbucks and buy a $7 coffee, right? Yeah. Well, so for me, it's sort of like I need to really sit and figure out what the best way of using some sort of paid service would be. I'm reconsidering using Apple Music because, well, largely because I'll probably, I'm like 80% sure now. I think when I was on Roundabout, I said I was like 60% sure I was going to get a HomePod. Now I'm I'm about 80. I think I've convinced myself that I could get one of those and it would more or less need to have Apple Music as its sort of main route. And when I did use the three, was it three months? Yeah, three month free trial. I really liked it a lot. Uh, I think in contrast to a lot of other folks because I never used the UI. I 
never used it on the Mac, which I guess was the worst UI. I never used it on the iPhone to touch UI. I always used it like in my car or around my house just saying, yo, uh, Siri, uh, give me the best hits from 1985 or tell me or you know, play the top hits from uh, Britney Spears or you know, play the best of Aerosmith. And it would just work, right? Like that part was really good. Right, right. And hmm. I think with a HomePod that I would really like to have that too, especially you know, work from home all the time. It'd be like, oh, yeah, uh, what do I want to see? Hey, uh, play Beatles Revolver. You know, go with that. Right, right. Huh. No, I was just curious about it because I mean, like, um, I, I don't listen to, I mean, I don't mind buying albums, right? Like I don't mind, like I, I like I just saw the Joshua Tree tour by you too. And I don't own that album. I've never owned it, right? I know the songs, obviously. But, uh, and actually what was interesting about seeing them play live, one of the songs they played live, I totally got into and I, and I never would have based on the recording, uh, just the way they played it live was really good. But so I thought I went over to iTunes and looked at it. It's like, you know, six ninety nine. That's like a reasonable price for an album in my opinion. Right. But I know that if I switched over to Apple music, I would get that for free essentially. Right. Isn't that how, how Apple music works? Like if you're, I mean, it's all you can eat for the same amount. I mean, it does mean that if you ever stop subscribing, you've effectively lost your yeah, entire catalog. Right. Yeah. Well, not, but not those while stuff. you're subscribing, you have an unlimited catalog, right? Like yeah. you'd never be able to listen to all the music. No. I, and I'm a huge music. I used to be a huge musical. So I shouldn't say that now because I mean, I switched over to listening to CBC radio years ago um, when I was working because one of the people I, one of my colleagues you know, liked it. Um, but I'm not the kind of developer that sits with headphones on and, and listens to music all day long. I, you know, I listen to podcasts on the way to and from work, but you know, it's so quiet at, at the bank that, uh, I don't listen to any music or it's just like, there's, I don't listen to anything all day long. We, you know, we're on chatting all the time and it's, it's so busy, you know, with work that I just, uh, you know, I think that if I had an Apple music subscription, it would be wasted. Right. So and unless I don't, and again, I don't know about family sharing, if that's another thing that can be shared as well. Right. As part of the family deal, right. That might make it more 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 appetizing there's a family thing so for individuals it's like 9.99 us and right, then right. there's some sort of family mode that's like 15 dollars. right so it's it's cheaper than you know individually buying and I'm, I'm not sure how many people it's like five people i think in your family can, can use that for the 15 dollars. so considerably cheaper than buying individual subscriptions for everybody but more expensive than an individual i think i think carol would use it because she she she's always buying um cds at the at the value village which is one of our you know thrift shops is what they call those right um and she's always bringing those mm-hmm. really obscure titles home and i keep saying to her like we're always oh, like two dollars at the whatever store and i'm like okay fine whatever but um i think she might use it more than, than me so a family subscription might make more sense in that sense but yeah i don't know <laughs> and and spotify like you I, I i even met i hate to say it but i met a developer at uh, 360i dev who i think where they're switzerland i think they are or sweden she actually worked there um and she came <laughs> over to she came over to denver for 360i dev and she was you know telling me all about spotify and that kind of stuff and and so you know, in in honor of her, I downloaded the app and started listening to it occasionally. But uh, yeah, I've just never never saw the need to, like you said, I, if I want to listen to if there's like an album or whatever they're featuring, I see a link on Facebook, I'll click on it, listen to it. But then, like you, I just you know after the after the free five songs are over, I move on, right? I think for Spotify, as far as I can tell, the big difference for me was that Spotify was more about music discovery. So if you want to find new music that your friends right, are listening right. to mm-hmm. or these different playlists, like that was way better on Spotify than an Apple Music. 
for me, I tend to sort of know roughly what I want to play, either a very specific song, a very specific album, or some sort of category like, hey, you know, play, you know, the top 40 rock and roll or something, where it's almost sort of like backwards looking, where I'm looking towards the past of like, okay, what, what do I want to listen to that I know? Not necessarily, what do I want to discover? So maybe there's room for both, like maybe both will start to sort of address the various sort of differences that they have between the two. But mm-hmm. that's sort of what I found that when I've heard people say they love Spotify, it tends to be because they love the music discovery thing. And Apple Music fans seem, I think, to be more sort of like they, they already knew what they wanted in the collection and this collection has that. Right. So you're saying there's a social network, social aspect to it? Like, does it actually tell you what your friends are listening to or, or do you have to create a relationship with them or does it suck your contacts out into it or how does it work? That's a good question. I've mostly just followed like public people. I'm, I'm not even sure if I've connected through, did I connect through Facebook? I think Maybe. I have I, connected I, it through Facebook yeah. and then you can set it to like post on your behalf, which I don't do, but it's, you know, Greg is now listening to this album and that kind of thing. Um, I think like services like last is last.fm and that kind of, is that still around? Those kinds of things where it would like mm. show your recent playlist mm. on like your social networks. Anyway, I think there's that. And then you, you've other people publish public playlists. You can follow those and, um, you know, as they update them and add songs, you can kind of follow along. So I do that with a couple of, a uh, couple of people as well. Right. Right. I, I don't know. I find those, those kind of like things where they try to tell you what's going on, you know, through some sort of algorithm. I mean, you know, like, like Carol and I, we've talked about it before. We, we use the same Facebook account and I think it's hilarious that, you know, we'll get tech articles, 3d printing articles and articles on tutus and dancing, you know, um, we're just messing with their engine. Right. And but she gets really annoyed when she gets those, uh, those, uh, tutu articles that you were looking at. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's okay. But, the, but the, you know, I, cause I, I, I do see that in, in other apps where like, you know, I'll be using it for a while and they say, Oh, here, suck your contents into this app. I'm like a context into this app. And I'm like, no effing way am I doing that? Cause you know, like some of my contacts and some of the people in my contacts aren't actually friends of mine. They're people I work with or they're customers I've had or whatever, or like Roger's cable guy, you know, like why would I, why would, why would I want to know what he's listening to at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon? Well, maybe he's got mm. good taste, you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I don't use any of the social aspects of, of Spotify. Like I don't, I think I may have signed in with Facebook, but I don't actually use it to like, you know, see what your friends are listening to. I don't do any of that stuff, but, um, yeah, the, the daily mix and the weekly dis, or I think they call it discover weekly, the, that stuff for new discoverability though, like I was saying is definitely, I think good. I guess I can't compare it to Apple music cause I haven't used it long enough. I only used it when we got the, what was it, like three months free back in the day mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah. They- yeah. Back in 2015 from WWDC of that year i think until like the when fall the, when when the keynote was all about apple music that was the year right yeah right yeah. right eddie q dancing in the red shirt yeah so i mean strombo is starting to publish on, on apple music like he's done i think they're dropping their third uh episode um this week actually and uh and i just you know like I, I of course i know what's in them but i can't you know i can't myself because i don't have an apple itunes or apple music account i can't go and take advantage of that stuff right so i think more and more like you said i think celebrities and stuff like that people you follow are making lists for people to listen to, but you know, and, and I and I, I think Vic, Vic Hudson and I have talked about this friend of the show, Vic Hudson, Vic Hudson I should say, uh, have talked about this um, on Twitter. In that, you know, if you if somebody sends you an iTunes link and you click on it, it takes you to I, Apple Music and says you don't have a subscription to this, so you can't even follow this link. And I don't know, I don't understand why Apple can't figure out a way to take me to the iTunes store and let me preview the song that the person's linked to. Like, what is wrong with these people? They're I guess Tim. 
Tim, Tim, I remember you, you talking about this and I was very terribly confused without a concrete link, um, ideally for the US app store, US store right, that I right. can try out. Uh, because I've seen separate links for iTunes and separate links for Apple Music. I haven't right. seen an iTunes link take me to They all Apple start Music. with ITMS colon slash slash. That scheme, always, whenever I click on one of those, it takes me to Apple Music. From what I remember for the API, you can specify the source that you want to go to. There's like, uh, like I'm thinking about through the Apple Music toolbox type stuff, you can say like, oh, yes, I do want to see the Apple Music version or I want to see the iTunes version. Do you think At I can do this the, on like my phone API. or I can do this or, or the person who wrote the app has to do it? I, I'm talking about the way that the URLs are constructed out of the, well, I'm, I'm thinking of it from like the API standpoint, right? Where you can query these things and the structure looked very similar to what you would just get in a typical URL that you could just paste into a, you know, like a browser address bar. Right, right. Yeah. So what, I mean, like in a lot of cases I'm clicking a link in Twitter or, I, you know, Scramble sends me a link in for social media posting and um, it's an ITMS link and, or even uh, sometimes there are HTTPS, HTTPS links, but they take me mm -hmm. to, they, they take me to the Apple Music uh, version of the app as opposed to the iTunes version of the app, right? Like you should, you think Apple right. would, I mean, maybe they don't care. Apple don't care. Um, but you would think that they would have some way of, of determining whether or not you have an Apple Music subscription. I think this is what Vic and I were talking about. And then take you to the, the the version that you can use. Like take you to the iTunes app as opposed to the App Store app. And then throw this prior three-month mm. thing out, you know? So here, let me let me send you a link and see if you can try it out, right? So Yeah, I'm very curious on this. Because I what I think you hear you saying, Tim, is you want some sort of very like stable, deep linking where there's some sort of canonical, let's say, identifier, some sort of path to get you to content. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Katy Perry's latest song. I, I don't actually know what that is. Whatever Katy Perry's latest <laughs> song is, right? It's, you know, apple.com slash music slash yeah. one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Right? Like that's its ID, one, two, three, four, five. And when you get this link, it should, by default, try to get you to do uh, music, realize, oh, you don't have music. So let me fall back right, and redirect right. you. To, it, look up and see if it's available in iTunes, you know, for, for purchase. Right. And then redirect you to that, right? Like that is a bit more sophistication that I think it is technically possible. I don't see why not. And I'm actually a little surprised that Apple hasn't done that, yeah. right? No, like, especially since they own you know, the API try and to push the... you towards Apple Music. You know, maybe it could take you to iTunes, but also be like, oh, by the way, like you could pay a dollar ninety nine for this app, or for just a little bit more, you could have unlimited amounts of music, including this bit of content for nine ninety nine a month. Right, right. Hmm. But no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if it's a technical thing, if it's a business thing. Maybe they've determined that no, it's actually better to take people, like try to get people so much to get that recurring revenue. Sure rather than the singular purchase. Um, you guys are using Apple Watch, right? Greg and Jaime? I'm back on the Apple Watch wagon. Yes. yes. Are you? Okay. So lately, I don't know what it is. My Apple Watch doesn't like my phone. It's sort of, I don't know, maybe I did this, the updates out of sync or something, but yeah, it was like uh, in the morning when I get up, you know, you get and your phone is locked or your, sorry, your watch is locked until you unlock your phone, right? That still stays locked and asks me for the, the passcode and all that kind of stuff. So and I've had some really weird anomalies where it uh, refuses to connect to the, to the phone for some reason. So, and I think I went in and, and turned off the, some setting 
thing in here that uh, I tried to set up for, what is it called? I was taking it off my wrist and so now it's locked itself. Um, you know, in the settings you can, there's a, I think there's a setting on the app on the phone that says, uh, yeah, um, unlock phone. There's a switch there. I, I, I undid mine on the phone and, or on the watch, sorry. And it uh, won't let me just turn it back on again. Very annoying. And it's only since the latest updates. I think you have to turn that on from the phone and it prompts you to confirm on the watch. Yeah. Have you tried using the Apple Watch app on the phone? Yes, I, I, I did. Okay. In fact, I did. In fact, but I, and I, that didn't I, help. I, I was away from home, so I wasn't really in my correct, you know, iTunes environment. Maybe that might be part of the problem. Hmm, okay. So, yeah. It's been it's been it's been odd it, it, up until that this particular issue. It's never been a problem, right? So do you know where in the phone? Mm. I guess it's under general, right? What are you looking for? Wake the setting to wake the phone up when you turn your phone on. I wake the watch up when you turn your phone on. Unlock the watch when you yeah, yeah. unlock your phone. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it's in the Apple Watch app on your phone. I'm looking at the Apple Watch app in my phone. Okay. You said it was under. Okay. So I think if you go to I miss fake passcode maybe passcode maybe yeah unlock with yeah, phone unlock, yeah okay let's try that yeah so it's in there I'm tapping on it and still staying gray isn't that strange oh it's, it's spinning it's thinking I think it's gonna say go to your watch yeah. and please enter your passcode I think I remember doing that your Apple watch is the other thing I've noticed locked. is that please unlock it to continue okay put back on my wrist the other thing I've noticed is that sometimes when the unlock by unlocking your phone yeah. sort of thing with the watch will like refuse to work and I just sort of need to reboot the watch yeah Oh, and sometimes the phone. <laughs> so it seems like running these for a long period of time, the networking sort of gets out of whack at some case. But other than that, there's nothing wrong with the Apple Watch. It's a it's a handy little device, and I'm down to having only Apple provided apps really? in my dock, okay. which I think says a lot about sort of mm. third party apps for me. Yeah, I don't mind checking in. So I I think I told you on the show before that that I recommended to our dog walker, one of the dog walkers at the park, that she should get one, and she loves it because you know she's usually walking like six dogs at a time, and and she can't you know reach for her phone, but she can flip her wrist and see who's calling her or whatever. So it is handy for answering answering the phone when you can't reach your watch or. Your, so answering the phone yeah. when you can't reach your phone. Um, yeah, quick communication stuff. But in terms of apps that I will fire up from the dock, you know, the ones that I want to keep around, they're the Now Playing, so I can control music and podcasts, the Weather app, the um, Wallet app, so I can use, you know, wallet, passbook type stuff yep. Um, yep. when I'm out at the stores or something, and the Timer app, because I use timers a lot. Right, yeah, yeah. I use uh, Swarm on the on the thing to check in at certain places, like when I'm walking the dog and I want to check in at the dog park, I'll use, I'll use swarm but you're right i pretty much don't use any third-party mm -hmm. apps yeah you know i started using the watch and one of the features i remember them talking was setting up multiple watch faces and swiping across to access them yeah and i could not get that to work i'm like hey i thought there was some feature where i just swipe but all i could do was force press bring up the customize swipe to a different one and then hit the button to like activate that and I was like, oh, mm -hmm. that's weird. I thought they announced a swipe. And I thought maybe it was coming in like WatchOS 4. But I'm like, I could have sworn they talked about it last year. And I don't know if it was my watch or maybe this is how it works. You can tell me how it is. But to switch between them, you need to like edge swipe. And I kind of have to do it really yeah, slowly. Yeah. And then it'll do it. But I thought it would just be like a swipe. So here's, in, really? here's, let me, here's a... I have two. Let me try it out. Let me take the contrary position because... Or contrarian position, as Jaime would say. Um, I don't like that feature. And I wish I could turn it off. Because I like... I have one watch face that I use and I just want to leave it there. And every now and then you'll, you'll you'll be putting on a sweater or something and you'll rub it or whatever and it'll switch to some other face that I don't want to see. So you can just delete the other faces though, right? Can you? you just like yeah, you can just yeah. again on, on 
on the phone, if you go to the Apple Watch app, there's like a list of watch faces. You can just yeah. edit and just delete all of them oh, except one. And I imagine, I yeah, I imagine you can yeah. never swipe. Hmm. So for me, I only have two faces that I use. The primary one I use is the modular face that has sort of my dashboard of everything I'm dealing with. And then if I edge swipe, which I guess I never really realized that that's exactly what I do. Um, there's not much surface area, so I don't start from the middle. I just sort of start from the edge and fling. Uh, I edge swipe and we'll get the, I don't know, whichever face it is that has like the largest digits, just the the time. Mm, and I use number, that one, I think it's called, right? Numeric or number or something like that, I think it's called? Something like that. And I use that one when I want to have something that will be easier to glance just the time. Like, I don't know, um, if I'm out somewhere and I want to just be able to very casually glance, like, okay, how much time is left? Mm. Um, usually when I'm on you know, personal time sort of thing. Okay. I, re- I, realized I guess I was thinking of it like springboard. So I was I was doing exactly what you said, Hammond, just starting from the middle and just kind of giving a quick swipe. And I'm like, hey, where's this feature? And I just assumed, ah, maybe I imagined it, but... Yeah, edge swipe. I don't like it, but now that I know it's there, I guess I know how to do it. So it's not so bad. <laughs> so I just discovered a really cool feature. I didn't know with the home app, I can actually turn on and off lights with my watch. Hmm, that, that makes sense. I've... Yeah, it was an Apple okay. Apple product, right? Yeah, I'm just look, I just yeah, looked yeah. at my, my watch here and realized what how many apps I actually have on here. So there you go. I have Vic, Vic Hudson's app that I'm testing for him. I've never used. Yeah. So we'll see how things go for the home pod because I think I, I mentioned somewhere, whether it was this podcast or a roundabout about how I think if you went back in time, you would not not have third-party apps available on the watch on day one, and you would just have a much more refined device hmm. to begin with that, that's just the pre-installed stuff, have a very concrete, easy message, and then grow from there. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it seems like maybe that's what they're doing on the HomePod, where, all right, let's put it out there. It's only Apple stuff, and maybe in the future they'll add third-party developer capabilities. Yeah, I kind of thought they would have done it like, um, like the original or the older Apple TVs, where it was like Apple stuff, and we have like selected whatever the NBA app and the MLB app and NBC or whoever HBO and we have worked with them to put an app to put their apps kind of on the Apple TV and I think they even released more of those apps as time went on and then eventually with the Apple mm-hmm. TV four or five or whatever it was they're like all right everybody can write um, so that's 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 an interesting take on it maybe if they had done the watch like that to say you know okay we have to get whatever um, Messenger or we have to get Strava or we have to get whatever on sort of launch day but we'll just you know cure the word of the decade we'll just curate like 10 apps that we think really need to be on the watch and work with them to make sure they're really solid and then maybe we can open up later on that would have maybe Hmm. you know been a slower ramp up but it would have gotten people more excited about fewer things rather than just open the floodgates but hmm, that's an interesting take yeah there would have been lots of yelling and screaming from the developer community if they had done that that's that's i think that's part of the problem right but but you're right it probably would have been better to do that i think that's what they were worried about because they were what a at least a year behind Android Wear, if not more, and certainly a couple years at least behind the smartwatch sort of bubble that started with the Pebble. Mm. And so I think had they not been so far behind, or maybe if they'd sort of had that product vision say, you know, developers complaining about it doesn't mean anything. Because developers are an edge case of a corner case in terms of <laughs> like number of people. If like if we can get out there and have it be solid for millions of people, the developers will come. We'll punch the yeah. develop each developer in the face as they walk into <laughs> WWDC yeah. and they will gladly be like thank you, sir. Give me another so I can get on here and make a million dollar fart app for the watch, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe they were a little worried it would be like the original iPhone where it's like, you know, you can't have apps, but we have a sweet solution instead, you know? And they didn't want that for the watch where it's like, we, here's this new thing mm-hmm. and nope, sorry, no apps, no third party access. But 
Um, no, but you're right. Maybe since they did that with the HomePod, they've kind of regained their confidence or something like that and said, uh, nope, we're going to do it that way for this thing. So it'll be interesting to see when or if, mm-hmm. or I would say when third-party apps come for come out for the HomePod. Well, maybe they'll sell yeah. us a 16 gig HomePod for $1 as a developer preview. <laughs> $1 plus tax I had to pay, yeah. as I always remind everyone. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Really? Uh, a tax? I can't remember that. Hmm. Yeah, one plus HST. I yeah. paid like a dollar fifteen or whatever it was oh, for. That's true. That's true. Well, they pay tax in California too. Uh, probably. I don't know. I wasn't there then, so mm-hmm. who knows? Taxes are different here, you know. Yeah, they are. The thing I'll have to remember for next week because it was too short term to really bring it up on the show this week is we had our Amazon Echo Show delivered today, and so I had maybe an hour before the podcast to try tinkering with it. Now, which one is that? And that's the the screen. It's the one with the screen. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Can you watch TV shows on it and stuff, or you can watch. YouTube at the very least, and probably Amazon Prime Video. We didn't we didn't try that part. Right, right. Hmm. Um, pretty pretty slick. Pretty pretty good. Pretty happy with it so far. Uh, I'll, you know, next week I'll have a full week of, of sort of tinkering with it and compare contrast. Um, for the article reviews, I'm starting to think ahead about you know, what's going to happen with the HomePod stuff. Like a lot of articles are mentioning, oh wow, this thing is pretty expensive. It's two hundred and thirty dollars US, um, which while not exactly trivial, not exactly a lot either. And if that is being considered like enough of a price uh, to to even mentioned in multiple reviews, I can only imagine what reviews are going to say about the HomePods was it 349 deal. Like that is a concern in terms of, you know, will this become pervasive or will you really just only have one of the HomePods in the house, right? Like who's going to be the extravagant person spending $700 to have two of them in one room of the house? Right, like, like the, the night home pod setup. and the day home pod, right? Just like the phone. Yeah, yeah. Because even though the Echo Show is 230, like I don't think they intend that to be the ones that are everywhere in your sort of location. It's clearly the Echo Dot, which is like 45, maybe 49 normal price. And they go on sale all the time for 30, 35 dollars. So practically the point is like, oops, you know, the, the cat knocked it off the table and it broke, oh, whatever, just open another one out of the pack, you know, out of the six pack and, and put it up there, <laughs> right? They, they're almost disposable at that point where you want to have multiple of them throughout the house and, and really make that uh, voice computing sort of everywhere, like Star Trek style. Right, right. Can you train them to say, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> you could make a skill for that, but I don't think it well, does and, that and, off the top. And of have the two of them talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Amazon just had the um, the updates for um, like an intercom system between Echoes in the same house. So we had talked about the, the fact that you could do the voice calling between um, households using your Echo um, or even the, the drop-in feature that's, you know, there for voice for you know the echo the echo dot and so forth but also there um for the echo show is sort of a like an always on facetime that you can or, or easily turn on a ball facetime for i don't know like the family room or the den or something you want to keep in touch with the grandparents sort of thing um that intercom system i think is something that you wouldn't have with the home podcast again you're not going to have 10 of these things at your house at 349 a piece so i'm hoping that they'll have you know the, the sort of centerpiece home pod and then like a home pod nano or something that's only a hundred bucks or so or or less, and you can just put those all over your house. Maybe they'll have a walkie-talkie mode where you can call your iPhone from the HomePod. <laughs> that, that might not I'm be actually a bad idea. You'd yeah, be like, yeah. where the hell's my damn phone? Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or or if you're upstairs, you know, if the if the, home, the HomePod is downstairs in the living room or, or wherever, and you're upstairs, someone can, and they want to, you know, have an intercom kind of thing, they just use it for that. They can call mm-hmm. you upstairs and have an intercom. But, you know, talk about the pricing. I think people aren't going to be so worried about the HomePod pricing because they're going to be so 
freaked out about the iPhone thousand dollar price point. Yeah, it and seems the, like a the noise, that the noise from that is going to wash yeah. everything else out. Yeah. yeah, I mean the the latest leaks for supposed um, body parts for the iPhone eight look really really good. Mm. Big beautiful screen. Maybe they'll maybe they'll actually have a an eight and a seven S. So the seven S will be kind of an incremental upgrade of the seven at a more reasonable price point, and the eight will be just a super deluxe anniversary model. Yeah, I do you remember hearing those mm-hmm. kinds of rumors where they were like, you know, finally going to go high end. Like uh, originally the plus models were like the high end models, and then yeah. eventually they're like, no, they're going to do like you said the S, but then the eight's going to be total redesign. You know, all screen front, and it's going to kind of be a leap ahead, and it's going to be like the super expensive, like the edition, the watch edition, or the phone. Yeah. Edition, something like that. Um, yeah, I so can, you heard rumors about to do them both at the same time. I have because the S okay. is just yeah. you know same case. It's going to look yep. the same, upgraded guts and all that, and that's fine. And that would be the sort of standard phone. The seven would move down, you know, one tier in their kind of pricing model. But then yep. they were going to go upscale, kind of like they did with the iPad Pro, saying, "Yeah, we've got iPad Air, yep. we've got iPad Mini, but we're going to come out with like you know turn up to eleven kind of thing, come up with yep. the expensive model." And so, um, yeah, because I think there were some <laughs> jokes and rumors about. Like, like iPhone Pro, but yeah, I think the 8, I don't know what they're going to call it, but like whatever the 8 would be, the redesign that we're expecting is going to be like the high-end model. So I think it's yeah, about time yeah, for that. Yeah, Because mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. there'll be enough fanboys who will they'll buy them. Um, and uh, yeah, everybody else the, can... The normal people can get the 7S, right? Yeah, the peasants. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, the plebes. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy as it sounds. Um, I might go with that $1,000 iPhone just sort of as a splurge sort of thing if mm-hmm. it's considerably nicer than the current 7 Plus. Mm-hmm. You know, like a 7 Plus S, I'm like, okay, that might be nice. Maybe I'll have a, a cool feature or two. Normally I would skip, right? I skipped the 6S Plus because it wasn't, yep. for me, enough of an upgrade over the 6 Plus. But, and the 7 Plus was a no-brainer just because, you know, two years worth of, of time and the double right. um, double lens camera and everything. But, you know, if they had a, hey, this is good, but this other thing is better. I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be like, yeah, I think I could justify yeah. spending $1,000 on a uh, Development device that I use every day. Now, will oh, there be air quotes eight, you just said? That was plus? Just a, <laughs> yeah. oh. a plus model, or or will it be just like a like the equivalent of the ten point five model, where it sort of consumes? Well, I mean, the will, other will there be two thing. form factors? I wonder. Mm. Well, yeah, I heard there just be one because it is going to be like edge to edge screen, so it would be like a the physical size would be like slightly larger than the current seven or six or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the screen would be so big, it would be like the screen equivalent of like a plus or close. Mm. So it would be like an in-between size is what I heard. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, have you guys tried out the, um, like in a store, like let's say like a Verizon or Best Buy or something, the Galaxy S8 and the S8 Mega Plus, whatever the bigger version is? <laughs> is there a bigger one? I didn't even know. Yeah. I, it, it's, no, it's I have no really idea about weird, any of this stuff. Because the, the larger one is, is weirdly long. Like it's a very strange sort of um, aspect ratio. It's very skinny. Um, it works pretty well. It's like the S8 Edge S8 Plus, plus is what it says. Just plus, just plus. Okay, so yeah. it, like they they reduced the bezels so much that even though the screen size, like on paper, is like oh man, that sounds like really huge compared to the iPhone Seven Plus. Physically, when I put them up next to each other, I'm like yeah, it's actually pretty close. I got a lot more screen real estate in what is essentially the same size body. So if they took the Seven Plus screen, left the screen size alone, and just sort of brought in all the bezels, mm, it would be yeah. considerably close 
close to the current iPhone 7 with its bezels and everything. Yeah, so yeah. that's amazing. It's pretty much too different. It would be like, well, do you really even want a seven um, size screen when you you would have roughly the same body size of the seven or the seven plus style screen yeah. size? Yeah, there's pretty much no side bezel on this thing on the Galaxy S8, and the top and bottom bezels look like tiny. You know, just mm-hmm. enough room mm-hmm. for the camera, and I guess like some kind of maybe some kind of flash, or like the light sensor or whatever it is in the speaker. I guess the speaker is on the bottom edge, not even on the front. Like they could have gotten away with going edge to edge even on the bottom. It almost looks like I don't know what's there though. I'm not familiar familiar enough with the hardware to know. Um, but when I do the zoom, I believe there's nothing there. Let me zoom this thing. Yeah, the top definitely has like the earpiece kind of speaker and all these light sensors in the camera, but the bottom bezel looks like it has nothing. So almost like they could do it, like Nextra's phone. Get rid of the chin, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it looks. I, I would want to. I think I want to see one of these in person. Yeah, plenty. I mean, go down to Best Buy or any any um, mobile carriers place. You know, like Verizon or AT and T or oh. Um, yeah, you know, you're in the U.S. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I don't know what. what, what <laughs> I know all of those words. Time, don't worry. Like, I know all of those words. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, oh no, I'm being culturally inappropriate. I was like, no, wait a minute. Greg's over here in the U.S. right now, so he knows where these places are. 